The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hello and welcome to the Big Technology Podcast, a show for cool-headed, nuanced conversation of the tech world and beyond. Our guest today is Max Chafkin. He is a features editor at Bloomberg Businessweek and the author of the brand new book just hit shelves yesterday. It's called The Contrarian, Peter Thiel and Silicon Valley's Pursuit of Power. It's interesting that you also say one Silicon Valley, so we have to get into that. Is there one? Is there many Silicon Valleys? Is Silicon Valley a location? Is it an idea? Um, is it uniform? Is it Does it contain multitudes as the LA Times just spoke about your book? Anyway, Max, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Alex. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you, Alex. You already got me excited. I've, uh, I learned so much from this book and I'm just like uh, thrilled to be talking to you. And I think this is going to be a fun discussion. So why, why don't we start here? Um, Peter Thiel is one one guy. Um, we, we see him in headlines every now and again. He's done you know, a handful of things. Has he built the most impressive companies in Silicon Valley? I don't think so. Um, certainly a presence there. So why is he so important that you became, you know, obsessed in the way that got you to write a book? And, and you know, we're about to spend about an hour talking about him. Why, why do people, if people are going to listen to one of the episodes of this podcast, why, why this be why would this be the one? Yeah, so I've I've got two two answers. Um, and one uh, the 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 kind of quick answer is he's fascinating. He's he's somebody who's full of contradictions. Um, uh, you know, I think the thing that caught a lot of people's attention with Teal as a, as a figure of fascination, um, you know, in 2016 when he endorsed Donald Trump, right? There's this feeling of like this um futurist, this prominent futurist who's a gay immigrant um from California. Uh, is backing a reactionary uh, anti-immigrant New York real estate developer who's running on a nativist platform. Um, mm. Like that's weird and interesting. And to me, like that is, I, I think, uh, you know, as obvious as that sounds, I think that's part of the kernel of of, of why people care about him. Um, but, uh, but I mean, the real answer to your question is, and, and, and this is something that, you know, I, I thought about as I was writing the book and tried to, to develop it, but Teal, I think, as you say, he's not the richest um, tech mogul. He hasn't started the best companies. Um, there are certainly stories you could tell about the tech industry over the last 20 years where other people would be kind of in the main character and uh, would be like the main character. But I would argue that Teal has had a bigger cultural impact on on the tech industry than than any single person. And and so like by that, I mean how the tech industry sees itself, how um, companies see what they do and how they do business. So in other words, this idea that founders, that the, the, the class of the founder is this kind of special person who has a privileged access to kind of like what the company is supposed to do and who's right, who's just, just knows what's best. Um, that came from Peter Thiel. I mean, that, that comes from Founders right. Fund. And that, um, that ethos, I think, you know, goes a long way to explaining like a lot of the weird stuff that has happened in the tech industry over the last um, 20 years as, as the tech industry kind of spills into um, 
you know, whatever the real world as, as uh, Facebook. Right, or, right. But Max, is, isn't yeah. it more than that though? It's more than just trusting the founder, right? Like, of course it, it is, it is having read your book, it is in particular this libertarian impulse that he has. This Absolutely. Anti-institutionism right. uh, that essentially says, you know, screw the, screw the government, screw the rules. Disruption is almost de facto good. Uh, Absolutely. And that is something, I mean, he starts with the company PayPal, which you outlined pretty impressively, uh, was yes, about sending money on the internet, but also in some ways breaking the global financial system. So yeah, yeah of course he did this thing called Founders Fund where he wants to empower the founder and he talked about you know how how bad education is and pay people to drop out of school but you know having read your book my takeaway was that his core cultural impact on silicon valley was convincing people that you know they should and could break down the system in any way possible and this is you know obviously do it for money but to me it seemed you know from his very early years he had this libertarian anti-institutionalist streak uh, and that extended, you know, to so many people he came into contact in Silicon Valley. And, you know, I wrote down a few that have worked with him. You talk about Elon Musk, uh, David, David Karp, uh, Joe Lonsdale, Alex Karp, David, Alex Sachs. Karp, David yeah. Sachs. Yeah, sorry. David Sachs, Alex Karp, Joe Lonsdale. I mean, it's it's unbelievable how many people have sort of come into his orbit, orbit and seem to have walked away as Thelis, you know, from their, uh, from the philosophical standpoint. I 100% agree with everything you just said, and I think you you just put put your finger on exactly uh, I'd say like the most important thing about Teal's, you know, kind of ideology and identity is is this idea, yeah, that breaking the rules. It's not just that it has um, neutral value. It's not just that it's that the rules can be ignored. It's that there's something good about about breaking the rules, and um, and that. I think you can sort of see why that would be useful if you're if you're building a startup, um, but it's also um, you know obviously can have you know detrimental effects and and now we've created and I, this is why I think um, it's really important to to pay attention to somebody like Peter Thiel and and to to pay attention to Thiel in particular because that ethos Thielism if you want to call it that is basically the 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 main ethos of Facebook of you know of of most of the bigger companies in silicon valley this mm-hmm. this idea that the rules yeah just aren't that important and and maybe it's best to to cast them aside from time to time and he hated it seems like he hated people who were pro government pro institution yep uh in part because he was bullied as a kid and was sort of an outcast and um you know he grew up in silicon valley if i if i remember correctly and people didn't treat him well and he yeah, was yeah. like, you are uh, out there saying you're going to go, you know, heal the world and you know what's right and you're precious institutions and uh, and this is the way you treat someone. I'm going to wreck it. And that seemed to have defined a lot of what he did through life. Is that is that a fair thing to say? Uh, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, the, the Teal family. It's amazing um, how much comes back to bullying. It is, yeah, seriously. Uh, they were they were outsiders. Um, you know, his parents were were German immigrants, um, uh, very conservative, uh, very religious, um, and uh, and and they and he moved around a lot as a kid. Uh, you know, they bounced from Cleveland um, to South Africa, and then finally to Foster City, which is this suburb 
um, you know, uh, you know, in the Bay Area, but it's pretty far removed from Silicon Valley. Built it isn't on like, marshlands. Yeah, it's not the nicest. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think the houses there are pretty expensive, just like everywhere else. But it, it's 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 kind of a world away. Um, yeah, you can look at it as you're as you're flying into SFO right out the window. Yeah. That's what you look at. Um, and so, yeah, he he definitely he was um, you know very smart and withdrawn um, and and angry. And I think you know some of that anger. Like you said, it, it came from from bullying, um, and and it kind of spilled into his um, sort of output as a, as a human. First, in uh, as an undergraduate at Stanford, starting this kind of you know very hard right wing um, newspaper, the Stanford Review, and then and then continuing on you know throughout throughout his uh, his career. So here's what I'm puzzled by. So someone who who grows up as an outcast and has this uh, you know the world be damned attitude. He wants to wreck things. How does he end up having the influence in Silicon Valley that influence all the people, you know, that we just spoke about, but by the way, let's add Mark Zuckerberg to the list. He funded Facebook and he's a Facebook board member. Absolutely. Uh, it, it, you, if you're encountering a group of, of generally optimistic builders, how does this, you know, very dark attitude towards the world and its institutions take such a hold inside that community? So one, I, you know, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about this. I, you know, I talked to a lot of, um, you know, former PayPal uh, employees. Um, and I, I think it's weird. PayPal has really, people know a lot about PayPal and tech. It's been kind of scrutinized a lot, I think, rightly. But there's still things like that I, I are probably underappreciated. And I think one is the extent to which there was this kind of band of brothers at PayPal who were all from conser- of this conservative publication? Like there were, like it wasn't just oh, Teal starts a um, a conservative newspaper and then you know goes to law school and then uh, gets into tech. But like he really brought along this whole crew of people, and and their whole thing had been kind of us against the world, and that then became transposed, you know, into PayPal, where PayPal, you know, there was a, a political aspect to PayPal, which is something people overlook. You kind of hinted at it, but you know, in the early days, they were talking about it, as you said, like as this thing that would break the not just the global banking system, but like national sovereignty, that it would make it impossible for countries to regulate their their monetary systems, to make it possible for people in repressive states to, you know, obviously to move money in or out easily. And and so it was this, you know, overtly political thing. And then there were, you know, then there, then, then it, it sort of transposes into, you know, it's us against the corporatists. It's us against eBay, which, you know, for a long time, eBay bought PayPal, but for a long time, eBay was there, was also their kind of, um, main antagonist. And I think he he didn't, um, Teal and Meg Whitman just weren't on speaking terms by the time that acquisition. No, I think there's like, that is a, uh, yeah, they're, they are like, uh, uh, I don't know, opposite ends of the spectrum. I mean, Teal seems to have fought. With everyone. I mean, he also fought with, with Elon and did a coup to sort of take the yeah, uh, exactly. over him. So I just, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Keep going. Anyway, I was just going to say these, um, when you talk to these guys about kind of like what, you know, why was PayPal successful? One of the things they say is like, we had this kind of, we had the sense that it was like us against the world. There's this kind of a cohesiveness to, to the PayPal team. And I think that that kind of you know, basically spun forward into the PayPal mafia, this, this kind of, uh, mm-hmm. feeling that it's us against the world. Um, you know, I, I don't think people have noticed the, 
that political thing much, but like, I think a lot of the kind of, um, some of this kind of cult of disruption stuff that we see in, in, in Silicon Valley, probably best epitomized by like Uber or something, I think kind of has its roots in right-wing activist politics, the right-wing activist politics of, of the 1980s, which is like where Teal did like his first, um, you know, it wasn't a business really, although I guess it kind of was a business, his first entrepreneurial um, venture. And, you know, in, in right-wing activist politics, you know, there's this like big tradition of, you know, kind of do, like screwing with the administration. There are all these stories of um, uh, uh, sort of news, college newspaper editors like going in and stealing um, you know, lists of names from the registrar or, or like, you know, sort of doing these like, um, acts of, um, protest or whatever, uh, and, and sort of finding ways around the institutions. And I think that kind of spirit, um, you know, you, you can, you know, go draw a line straight to, um, some of the things that, that PayPal did because PayPal totally just ignored every banking regulation. They, you know, it wasn't just that they were ideologically opposed to, you know, like like uh, the the normal uh, model of regulating currencies, they were just actively just just you know saying screw it, and um, and eventually, and they and they um, you know got away with it. I mean, I don't know if got away with it is the right word, but you know they were able to navigate the company to to a successful exit and settle with the regulators and and kind of integrate themselves into the um, global financial system. And I think um, you know the rest of of the tech industry, um, you know, kind of learned a valuable lesson from that experience, which is that you can, um, you know, you can succeed by pursuing this sort of regulatory arbitrage by, by, by attacking a regulated industry and by making one of your points of differentiation that you do not follow the rules. So it's largely accepted as fact that Silicon Valley portrays itself as a save the world type of companies versus we're just doing this, uh, to make money. Um, how do those two things uh, look when you juxtapose them, the, we're trying to take down the system and this, you know, we're here to heal the world or some of the Zuckerberg language. So I think they're kind of two threads, um, of kind of ideology that, and I argue this in the book, I, I, it's definitely up for debate, but here's how, but the way I think about it, right. And this is, um, for, was su- first suggested to me by Roger McNamee, who's a, you know, venture capitalist who, um, you know, is turned, uh, critic of, of Facebook. Um, but, but, Basically, you have kind of like the Steve Jobs way of thinking about companies. And I think this, I think obviously there's some hypocrisy here, but the basic idea is that business is a form of creative expression and it's a form, it's a way mm-hmm. to like help people get the most out of themselves. Like, you know, kind of uh, new age human business as like new age human potential movement stuff. So um, uh, Apple, of course, fits into that. Um, but so does Google, right? Um, you know, it's like uh, we're 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 making the world's information accessible. We're making you smarter, or, or whatever it is. Um, and then there's this like other thread, which is the tealist thread, which is business as disruption, business as power, and that is you know grow as big as you can and and like you know get get a monopoly i mean in that you know teal wrote a whole book zero to one where the basic takeaway is you know businesses if they want to succeed they should they should strive for you know monopoly profits which is another way of saying you know dominance and and so i don't think those two things can be reconciled i think they're 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 like on two sides of the spectrum Mm -hmm. and i think that you know obviously that the teal view is very very cynical but of course, 
you know, a lot of these companies that say they're saving the world are actually, you know, they're just sort of saying, I don't know. I think you, I think both those frameworks are, are potentially useful to like understand Silicon Valley and understand why it's grown so quickly and, and stuff. Yeah. I think my, my theory on this is that um, Steve Jobs warped a lot of people's view of what tech is. Yeah. Um, and because he was so hard, uh, so influential and so hard on the um, save the world mentality that everyone had this picture in their head that that's what tech is. In fact, I think you mentioned the tech press's influence a bunch in the book, which I thought was great. And I think the tech press in large part wanted every founder to be Steve Jobs. I mean, you see what's happening with Elizabeth Holmes. It was her responding to those incentives and how many covers did she get wearing the turtleneck while she was defrauding everybody. So (laughs) I think that that was um, something that folks needed to felt they needed to portray to the outside world. But if you looked on the inside, it was right. teal mentality all the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, uh, yeah, for sure. And it's kind of funny. I went back and read a bunch of the, um, you know, whatever, the output about the tech industry. You know, mm-hmm. there were books written, um, you know, in the in the early 2000s. Um, and a lot of their essays and stuff all about how the, the role of the counterculture in forming Silicon Valley, which I think is, okay, like it's totally valid. And yes, like, yeah, Steve Jobs was a bit of a hippie. But it's kind of a weird way of looking at an industry that literally started as an extension of the U.S. military, and, and like, 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 you know, there's nothing. There is, there are countercultural things about Silicon Valley, but to see the tech industry as just this kind of outgrowth of of '60s counterculture is like to miss, you know, the whole beginning of the industry and like, a, a, you know, a thread that probably is just as important as like, as you say, you know, something that kind of a little bit came down to branding or, or, or something like that, which right. is like these guys talking about saving the world. Um, but, but I don't know. I mean, I'll, it, the real root is a, you know, a bunch of defense contractors. Yeah. Well, there, there's something to root for in the word disrupt. I, I do think that the tech industry's claims that the, um, the way things have been done for a long time have been corrupt and hurt people. I think there's any doubt about that. And they especially resonated in the time of, uh, the financial crisis. I think you even talked yep, about how absolutely. you approached Teal and you you asked him to participate in the How I Built This uh, yeah. article. And you, you were talking about how it was a little schlocky. And, but but we were looking yeah. for ways to be like, you know, there's got to be some optimism because the old way just brought down the whole economy. Yep. But but there there is, you know, you can see some, some virtue in what these companies are doing. But um, it's, that's where the story starts. But so many, so many times it actually gets actualized in this tealist way, which is like teal had a, I mean, from your, from your book, it's clear he had a hate, hate, hate for institutions. And eventually yep. that came through in his recommendations. Once he got asked to help staff the Trump administration, which we'll get to after, after the break. Um, but it is interesting to see how like, you know, it could start from a virtuous, pr- virtuous place, but very often it, and in, in a bad place. And it seems like, you know, I don't know. It seems like Teal had a, had a large hand in that. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I also think, um, you know, there's something just uh, like uh, appealing about the honesty of the of the Teal worldview, especially if you're feeling a little bit, um, you know, if you're feeling betrayed, like like the the kind of post financial crisis mode. Um, if you're feeling betrayed by institutions, or if you're just kind of fed up with the the hypocrisy of um, you know, whatever of, of, of that's kind of inherent to capitalism, the, the sort of cynical worldview of just sort of like, yeah, get as big as you can and make as much money as you can. Um, 
and you know forget being good like that that has I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's because I'm a bad person or something, but I, I see the appeal. I, you know, yeah. I, can, I, I, I was going to feel... ask if some of this stuff resonated with you. I mean, some yeah. of these institutions, I mean, look, I, I, I don't know. I feel like I tend to believe in institutions sometimes more than I should, but some of them are bad. Yeah. yeah. If you look at the state of the country and obviously I don't think the teal mentality has helped this very much, but uh, people have been let down by their institutions and they don't believe them anymore. Right. And so the idea of burning them down is appealing in, in some way, even though it might not be the right solution. I, I really think that reforming well, them is the right solution, but I can see why burning them down has a real appeal among a lot of people. I mean, Teal would not be, um, uh, would not have so many followers. He would not be dangerous if he wasn't right a lot. I mean, that that's the thing about, so like, yeah. I think, I mean, he was obviously the, you know, for, for instance, his, his critique of universities, right. It's, it has a lot, there's a lot of, of, of truth to it. Um, you know, universities have been, you know, overcharging people and have been, you know, um, uh, failing to prepare, uh, yeah. students. And I, but is the answer to convince like a bunch of 17 year olds to like, not go to college, especially like not to go to the best, like, it, yeah. you know, I, I don't, I'm not sure that the answers are are correct, but often like his diagnosis of the problem is, right. is really is effective and is true. I mean, he's gotten, um, you know, Jeff Bezos, like famously, uh, ripped Teal once by saying, you know, can think about contrarians as they, you know, they get most things wrong. Um, Teal's been right a lot, at least right yes, on the kind of big, on, on the big things. Often I think the execution is where he's sort of screwed up, um, either financially, like not made as much money as he could have, or just, just done something kind of objectionable or dangerous or something like that. Yeah. I want to get back to the biography details and then keep going on this thread. So why don't we do that right after the break? We'll be back here on big technology podcast. We got Max Chafkin. Uh, he is. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. This is the author of The Contrarian, Peter Thiel, in Silicon Valley's Pursuit of Power. It's a great book. We'll be back right after this. And we're back here on the Big Technology Podcast with Max Trafkins talking to us about his Peter Thiel book, The Contrarian. So, you know, we talked a little bit about how Peter Thiel uh, went to PayPal um, and had this burn down the system type of mentality. Um but how does how does he then spread his influence? Because look, at the end of the day, there's a lot of founders uh, and there's a lot of technologists with kooky views uh, or extreme views or passionate views about different subjects. Uh, they don't always build a following. So was it when Teal then, you know, moved on from PayPal and started a very successful hedge fund and then eventually a venture capital firm that some of the ideas that he had about society started to take hold? Absolutely. And I think he did it on purpose. Like it wasn't, it wasn't something that just happened by accident. Um, you know, I think Teal, obviously he's respected as a, a very smart investor, as a futurist. Um, I think he has, you know, his moments of rhetorical brilliance. Um, but he's also like a really good marketer. And I think um, Teal as kind of an influencer or as 
a you know self-created figure that it's 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 actually probably a helpful way to think about him actually i think it i would argue it's helpful for thinking a lot of these um sort of tech industry figures but in any case as an influencer yeah, yeah, they're the original yeah. influencers. Uh, um, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, I, I, we could have a whole discussion about Elon Musk. Like, I think Elon Musk is totally underrated as a marketer, and like, just and I'm well, not to say are you sure. I think people really understand Elon's. Well, okay, maybe it's maybe people are coming around to him now that he can like yeah. move the stock price by up. But anyway, um, uh, let me get back on track. I I, I think Teal um, coming out of of PayPal, and he made a little bit of money. And I think he he very self consciously set out to turn himself into this a figure a figure of interest and of influence. And at first, and you can kind of see this because his early efforts of it were really bad. Um, mm-hmm. He um, opened a restaurant. It was like a kind of a restaurant nightclub called Frison. In, Sounded uh, kind of fun. Yeah. It, yeah. It, I mean, how much money did he spend to build a thing? I don't. It was really. No, there's. I, I think there's yeah. some detail in the book about like the su- the cost of the sound system and um. It just sounds um, dollars, I think, pretty tacky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, and it wasn't. Um. It wasn't immediately successful. Like as a restaurant, it went out of business. He also started a NASCAR magazine. Um. You know, despite uh, I don't think being you know a, right. a big sports and guy or whatever, it with, like opinions about like basically how how. Uh, what was men were happy that women were cooking for them in a NASCAR. Anyway, it was just like a weird uh, combination of like a sort of college political magazine, right wing college mm-hmm. political magazine with a sports magazine. They hired like these weekly standard columnists to write car columns and they, you know, inevitably, you know, wrote kind of like weekly standard columns. And of course, you know, people yeah. who are race car fans, they might be conservative, but like they're not picking up a race car to get the like Peter Thiel view of uh, gender relations or something. <laughs> I um, mean, that, that magazine, by the way, see, just seemed to me like something that someone would imagine in a laboratory about like what NASCAR fans would want. Without 100%. ever having gone to a NASCAR race and ever never spoken to a NASCAR fan, or what um, a rich guy who was trying to establish himself as a, a, a big time investor, yeah. hedge fund guy might do, and because right. of course, Maybe like I mean, all of the above. Yeah, yeah. Media, of course, media is a great way to um, to create influence, and 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 same thing, to, like to get invited to cool parties, and having a restaurant's a way to get invited to cool parties or have cool parties. And I think he was very explicitly trying to create this this aura around him as an investor and that and it was originally as like a hedge fund guy and this is kind of one of the funny things to me because like if you grabbed like a random person on the street like a random um wall street journal reader in 2005 2006 Hmm. and said who is peter Thiel?" and they would say oh Peter, peter Thiel. he's one of the most successful hedge fund managers in the world they would never have said oh he's a technologist anything like that he was he was like the next george soros um and he was totally styling himself as that not as not as this um, technologist, and it's only and after- let's define what that is. He was betting large amounts of money on things failing. Yeah, on on. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, broadly, yeah, it's it's betting on you know macroeconomic swings. But in, in right. and in the specific case for Teal, I mean, he was he was betting against the U.S. economy. And, and in this was a guy out- who even left. He left PayPal and bet against PayPal. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, he wanted to. I actually don't know for sure if he did, oh, you know, oh. how whether he followed through with the uh, the investments. That but was he the message is, going out the door. So yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. And and he's, you know, I, I talked to, um, you know, folks who worked, uh, you know, at his investment firm um, in those years, and they talked about this very 
explicit notion that that Teal has two portfolios, an optimistic portfolio and a pessimistic portfolio. Hmm. The optimistic portfolio is the startup investing. It's it's Facebook, it's you know Palantir or whatever. And the pessimistic portfolio is this macroeconomic investing which was, you know, betting against the US economy, betting that the financial crisis um, was going to be big and was going to be worse than anyone you know expected, and kind of betting uh, betting on an apocalypse. Um, and um, anyway, he was he was right about that uh, notion. I mean, there's this scene in the book that I think at the time the people who worked um, at Clarium thought was insane. That was his where, hedge yeah, which was his hedge fund, where you know he and other senior people were talking about you know buying a bunch of gold and burying it and um and you know just like really just flipping out in a way that felt uncomfortable to some um to some of the people who worked there because you know cuz they, they didn't think you know banks were going to fail um but of course you know some banks you know did fail and and um and so it wasn't that like their their crazy paranoia wasn't that far off but then unfortunately as I said, like the execution did not kind of match the 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 insight. They weren't Teal was not able to come up with like an investment strategy that to capitalize on on, on this. And no in fact, short. he kind of went the other way. He mm-hmm. he, uh, as someone described it to me. It was like they were trying to find a contrarian take to their original contrarian take, where like the you, you're sort of like you you think that that this thing that you've called has now gone too mainstream so you have to you know come up with something even weirder and it was in that effort that they that they failed they ended up um trying to time the bottom of the stock market um and as a result missed they they both bought when they should have sold and then they missed the rebound um and and as a result his hedge fund completely failed and um you know he had to basically it, it it was reformed as a you know family office like the outside capital um uh it w- went away um and he lost billions of dollars and and after that he then kind of restyled himself again and not as a um you know cool hedge fund manager with a cool restaurant and cool nascar magazine but as the quirky um tech guy and that's when he starts um backing seasteading that's when he kind of goes back to the um to his political roots. He starts writing more kind of out there, you know, libertarian political stuff. Uh he's funding life extension research. It, it, and that's when the kind of like the Peter Thiel that most tech people would recognize starts to kind of come into focus. Right. And for listeners, sea setting is uh, this libertarian idea where you basically build a barge or some sort of island off the coast and you you do what you want without the rules of the oppressive uh, rest of society. Fascinating stuff. Uh, so maybe we should move Big Technology Podcast to some seastead, so we don't have to pay taxes. Just kidding. Um, but anyway, uh, that, so but he also has this founders fund where he does uh, do this startup investing and starts the fellowship. We talked. You talked to. So you met him. Um, he was telling you that there's been like three bubbles, right? The financial bubble, some other one, and then the um, education bubble, which is going to burst. And he basically said, like, if you uh, end up spending too much money on a house, at least you have a house. If you spend too much money on education, you got nothing. And he started this thing that that encouraged young people to take a hundred grand a year from him. And the only condition is they, they drop out of college. Right. So was that like the second half of, uh, of his, uh, what he was doing? Absolutely. Business influence campaign. And I think, mm -hmm. and I think it totally was related to, um, something else that was going on in the world at that time, which was the release of the social network. Um, and, mm-hmm. and so, you know, 
the social network, uh, you know, Teal doesn't get very much screen time, but his he is a sort of an important figure in that in that story because it was Teal who sort of set in motion this this stock structure that creates mm-hmm. the conflict between Eduardo Saverin and Mark Zuckerberg, which is the you know whatever the basis of the social network. Yeah, and as I you know as he I understand was, it. Yeah. An early investor, one of the earliest investors in Facebook. Yeah, as I understand it, he was part. One of the reasons that the Teal Fellowship came into be was because he was trying to sort of take advantage of of the moment and also shape the narrative. You know, where where um, at the time, you know, Holly, the 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 movie, right? The the Social Network does not present a very flattering picture of Mark Zuckerberg. But Zuckerberg, I think, very savvily, um, and and Teal did the same thing. Chose to to like to sort of flip it and say, actually, this just shows how how cool we are. And and their interviews with Teal at the time, saying, you know, the, these producers, these out of touch Hollywood producers, they didn't um, they didn't mean to, but really, they're just making a great ad for um, for entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's right around this time that he, you know. You know, almost just as a media spectacle, announces you know that he's going to give twenty young people under twenty a hundred thousand dollars each. Twenty under twenty. It's it's totally like a contrived, um, you know, kind of media thing. Partly as a, a in an effort to like you know catch the sort of wave that's happening of interest from the social network, maybe to um, uh, distract from the fact that like this kind of. Teal is portrayed in the movie as kind of a schlubby, you know, not not that interesting suit, um, and and then it takes on on this life of its own, and and you know, of course, it's not just a media event. Real people come, and and real companies are started, and and it and it becomes this whole um, whole thing. But I don't think it was thought all that well through, you know, beyond the just right. the top line. Here's the media. Here's here's how we're going to describe it to the press. Yeah, and I think you put it well in the book that when, when he started to convince these young people to drop out of college. All of a sudden, I think that was a, a huge profile raiser for him. I mean, he yeah. goes from being a guy who, and of course, he had done this writing, and but he goes from being a guy who had managed a hedge fund and had a VC firm to someone who was like trying these radical new ideas to reshape society, and then people started. It, it, I, and they called it the Thiel Fellows. I mean, it was good marketing, yeah, for him, for and sure. totally, and it was totally mm-hmm. designed to like yeah. to to um you know, for lack of a better word, like troll the libs, right? Like they, Slate did a, um, Slate, you know, did like a a hit piece on, uh, on the, I'm using the the builder language here. Which they Um, end up, yeah, using in the promotion. They used it in their marketing. They loved it. You know, it's like exactly what Peter Thiel wanted was to be, you know, was to be called out by, you know, some, some lefty, uh, journalist. And so I, I think it was totally designed to, to, to catch people's attention. And, and it did. And, and I think, I mean, that, that, this is like one of the, um, one of the big surprises in reporting the book, you know, is just that, you know, not that it doesn't, it doesn't end up going well for all the Teal fellows. Like, you know, obviously some of them have gone on to great success, but others, you know, definitely, um, I think left the fellowship feeling a little bit used by, by it and feeling like, yeah, this this worked out great for Peter Thiel. Um, yeah. I'm not sure what I got out of it exactly. Well, maybe they just weren't tough enough. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, so I want to take a, a moment here, pause, and talk about the man that we just brought up, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, because Thiel and Zuckerberg have an interesting relationship. In fact, when I was reporting Always Day One, um, 
I was told that, you know, Mark has a feedback culture and he likes to listen to uh, contrarian voices. Peter Thiel is a contrarian. That's why he's on the board for this long. I wonder how much Peter Thiel's libertarian burn down institutions mentality has influenced Facebook's direction. I'm thinking about it in particular because the Wall Street Journal this week released these five stories uh, that showed essentially Facebook, you know, blowing up institutions and failing to, you know, and kind of enforce its own rules. I mean, there are stories about how, um, how it's, uh, well, making girls feel bad on Instagram, but I think more along the lines of where this came up, uh, letting anti-vaccine sentiment run wild, right. um, where the government really would like that not to be the case, allowing cartels and human traffickers to use the system and recruit and publicize what they're doing, um, and essentially giving a wide range, 5.8 million people of VIP users, right? I mean, how, how could you have 6 million VIP users? I don't get that. Uh, but basically exempting them from content moderation and letting them say whatever they want to say. And I'm reading this, and I'm thinking about your book. And I'm like, damn, these are pretty uh, along the lines of, of what Peter Thiel might want in, in a society. Essentially, yeah. just like in a libertarian world, you just let it run wild. And you stay out of the way and society sorts itself out. So I am curious what, what you think about that. How much influence has he had on Zuckerberg? And, you know, we, we point a lot to the problems that Facebook has today. But, you know, are they actually kind of like the idea? Um, yeah. There, there's a line in um, there's a line in the um, Cecilia Caring, Cheryl Fr- Frankel book of I think it's a quote from Kara Swisher about it basically is like something to the effect that like, um, you know, Mark. Zuckerberg is like a a blank slate that Teal has. It's it's like a very extreme uh-huh. statement that I think probably um, overstates the, the, you know the case. Like Zuckerberg is a, a a very smart person. You know he's obviously independent independently minded, but I do think um, and I, I do think there's some truth to the to that sentiment and the sentiment that you're bringing up, which is I think that Teal has had yeah just an enormous impact on Mark Zuckerberg. Um, it, both in terms of like how the company is structured, like the literal way that Zuckerberg, um, you know, got control of Facebook and maintained control of Facebook. And then, but also, um, yeah, this ideological thing, this, this notion that, um, as you say, institutions are really not that important. And that, that uh, it seems like Zuckerberg sort of thinks that Facebook is like the only institution that really matters or something like that. Um, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, for me in those, in those journal stories, like one detail that really stuck out is, um, you know, that they're getting these reports about, um, you know, body images, women, young girls, like going on Instagram and are, 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 are feeling really bad about themselves and, and really concerning research. And Zuckerberg's getting those and then getting asked to, by Congress you know, hey, is this making people feel bad? And he's he's just, you know, totally. Know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like like having just a complete lack of respect for the institution. It's 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 really outrageous because it's both a lack of respect for the for the issue and for for Facebook's responsibility to society, but also just you know maybe people can agree to disagree and maybe Facebook, maybe there are people going to argue Facebook doesn't have a responsibility to stop that, but just the, the, the unwilling, the, 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 the treatment of, you know, whatever our nation's highest, uh, uh, you know, legislative body as just kind of a big joke is, is just kind of crazy. And I, I think it's completely, um, in line with, um, Teal's ethos. And I, I think, I think Facebook is in, in so many ways, 
you know, another one of these attempts to kind of go beyond the traditional institutions. I mean, we've, yeah. there've been lots of stories, uh, lots of stories written about, you know, Facebook kind of seeing itself as its own country. They've got their own Supreme court now, and they're trying yeah. to have their own. Oh man, Max, when I visited the first time, the conference rooms were all named after countries that Facebook was bigger than. Yeah. You walk <laughs> in is- and you're like walking past the Brazil conference room. I'm like, Oh, why Brazil? They're like, we're bigger. It's just, yeah. I mean, it's really, it is really, um, kind of, I mean, like, as you say, it's, it's, it's in your face. And, um, yeah. And, 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 and so, I do wonder, like when we have Facebook promises, we'll do better, we'll do better, but maybe, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I do, I know that they're separate from Peter Thiel, um, but I also know the influence. I'm also just like, maybe they're kind of close to where they want to be. And they right. tell everybody they're you know, everybody else can cry in a river. Uh, and I also think, you know, there's, there's kind of this, a lot of people have spent time trying to figure out like, what is Mark Zuckerberg actually, like, what are his, does he have politics? Is he a mm-hmm. liberal? Is he a conservative? Uh, you know, he, yeah, I think he's he gave some money. To, yeah. He's, I think I agree. I think he's a libertarian and I think, which I think, you know, hundred percent influenced by Teal there. But I also think to some extent he has no left, right politics. His mm-hmm. politics are whatever is going to be required to allow Facebook to grow as big as possible, mm-hmm. you know, damn the authorities, damn the rules. And, and I think that, you know, even more so than Teal's kind of like right wing political views, I think that is more, that is the, that's the kind of core of the influence. And, and yeah. so, which, and, and in a lot of ways, like that's a scarier influence because it's, it's harder to talk about or even think about. Right. And it must be wild in those board meetings to have Teal, Zuckerberg, Mark Andreessen all together. Wow. Well, I, I do think it's telling too, you know, the two longest serving board. So Facebook, you know, as you know, I mean, you know, they, they just kind of purged all their board members a couple of years ago. And, and the, the, but the board members who have survived, of course, are the, are the two libertarians, Mark Zuckerberg and Peter Thiel. And, and I, I think that's, you know, that's no accident. Um, it's, there's certainly some ideological alignment there. Yeah. Uh, let's end this segment talking a little bit about Elon Musk. So I'd love for you to describe the um, interesting kind of yo-yo relationship between Teal and Musk, friends, enemies, friends, enemies. And, uh, you know, I'm just curious, you got Elon to speak to you for the book. Uh, that's not easy to do, especially when it comes to Teal. How did you sell that? I just, I, I just asked him. Um, uh, I, Teal was, I mean, uh, Elon was uh, not, not, um, not hesitant to uh to to share his views um uh he and I have a long history of you know whatever we've we've talked many times but um i think um i i i think frenemy is the way that i kind of you know put it in my mind i think yeah cuz did put a pretty big investment in spacex so 100% and and it's i think that i think that elon and um peter are basically just almost complete opposites, like temperamentally, you know, Musk mm-hmm. is this kind of very emotional, all in, you know, he, he, if he's going to, if he's going to bet on something, he's going all in, he, you know, wears his heart on his sleeve. He's very, you know, he's very prone to like, you know, getting pissed and then forgiving and then getting pissed again. And, um, and of course he's a, you know, he's a gift to the journalistic gods because of that. Right. But, mm-hmm. and Teal of course is, introverted he's cautious he's constantly hedging his bets he doesn't ever want to you know want to go all in on anything and you know he's and he keeps it all you know kind of close to the vest and so i think there's some temperamental thing but but as you said you know uh elon was running uh paypal peter uh led a coup that replaced him 
And then um, they were able to patch it up. And I think basically, um, you know, while Elon was on his honeymoon, he got replaced. Exactly. Yes. Pretty cold. Yeah. It, it it's um yeah it's it's a it's it's also a testament to like uh I mean it's easy to see oh the, this coup happened but at the time you know Elon was a much more better respected more famous entrepreneur than Peter Thiel. Elon had already sold a company at, he had Mike Moritz who is the you know <laughs> most respected venture capitalist in Silicon yeah. Valley behind him. So like I'm just the, laughing the idea- because the, there's the story of um Musk and Thiel where he he bought so he sold the company and bought this like what 1 million dollar McLaren. Yeah. And then McLaren F1, F1. I think. And yeah. he crashes it and was like, I didn't buy insurance because I didn't think I was the type of guy that would crash the car. That's an amazing right. story. Well, Teal right. was in and, the car at the time. Yeah. Was and he? of course, yeah. you know, Teal would have, Teal probably had insurance uh, already yeah. on, on, on Elon's car. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but anyway, yeah. And, and I think that Musk, you know, basically forgave him. And Musk kind of said this in not so many words, but he basically concluded like, look, it's not in my interest to, to make an enemy of this mm. guy. Mm. Um, and, um, and he was right. I mean, PayPal, PayPal succeeded and they were able to kind of, you know, work closely enough together that when when Elon really needed money, when SpaceX in 2008, SpaceX was was failing. It had it had mm-hmm. um, it had had three launch failures. I can't remember if it was three or two. I think it was three mm-hmm. launch failures. And um, you know, Elon is basically you know maxed out his bank account trying to fund Tesla. He has no more money. Teal comes in basically as a white knight and 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 saves the company. And um, I think does it kind of against his better judgment. Uh, you know, I think does it with some anguish because it was, you know, obviously like if if Elon had failed, that it would look very bad for for Founders Fund. Um, and and as I understand it, you know, there was a lot of back and forth within Founders Fund over that investment where Luke Nosick was pushing really hard to do that investment. Teal wasn't so sure because Teal doesn't, you know, it's it's not his. Um, you know, like taking that kind of risk is is really not in his makeup. Although he did it, and and it and the rest is history. And as a result, he's got a nice sized chunk of this very very valuable, um, you know, rocket company. So right. so it all worked out. But but they definitely have they're definitely like not um, not best friends. They're they're more like mm-hmm. allies or something like that. Yeah, and he did make that investment, like or the investment was announced a couple of days after Elon blew up a rocket. So, but yeah, it's working out well for him. What's your relationship like with Peter Thiel? I mean, one of my favorite scenes in the book was you talked about how you had this off the record conversation with him and he just kind of finished a sentence and left and you didn't know whether someone was going to take you out or of the room or something. And turns out that was just the end of the interview and he never. Yeah. yeah. I think you said, oh, he was just kind of done talking. So um, yeah, elaborate on on this. And, yeah, you know, I mean, what, what I can't happen in that room. I can't share any of the, <laughs> the details of of what yeah. was discussed. Um, uh, I, I was, I mean, you know, as I as I I approached this book as you know, basically wanted to be to write a journalistic, um, you know, portrait of of the man, and and in other words, to not not to approach him as some kind of supervillain, which is you know has been the treatment sometimes, right. um, and all, but also not to approach him with, you know, with, with de facto deference to just treat him. There's a lot of the, a lot of the coverage of Teal, you know, this is kind of a crass way of putting it, but it's like, we're talking about a fellow Davos guy, you know, he's all right. There's this kind of like coziness of some of the um, articles that have been written about him um, that I think he's kind of encouraged um, where, where, where they're not really, 
um, calling any of the failures out or really paying attention to to anything in a, in, a, in a kind of critical way. So I wanted to do, but I wanted to be in the middle. And so I was talking to you know former employees, basically everyone I could talk to, but also of course trying to um, speak with him and and to get his perspective because that you know I thought that was really important. And uh, yeah, we had this meeting, and you no, know, it's it's kind of like the. Um, you know what you what what you would expect from somebody who's who's worth billions of dollars and is socially awkward. I mean, he he yeah. he uh, yeah he just he just excused himself, but without actually excusing, uh, excusing himself. himself. Um, and but uh, but he was also you know very polite. I mean, you know mm-hmm. there was no um, you know a lot of people have asked did 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 they threaten you or something like that? You know because of the gawker. Oh, he did um, bring down a publication. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, but go ahead. Um, and and I think that's I think that's totally worth talking about. In, you know, in uh, in terms of to the extent that that there was intimidation, the only the intimidation just came from the fact that he had done this thing. But but in terms of the actual in person interaction and um, interactions with his like PR people and stuff, they they were not. Um, uh, yeah, there there was there wasn't a hint of of menace. Um, right, he didn't send is, Charles Harder at you after uh, you sent him the questions for the fact check. They did not send Charles Harder after me. Charles Harder is not a big part of the book, though. So yeah. Well, he's the guy, wasn't he? The guy who, the lawyer who he funded, yeah, so he could take on yeah. on Gawker. Yeah, Harder is Harder yeah. was the the lawyer prosecuted the Gawker case, and I think, um, you know, one with thing Teal's money, yeah, with with Teal's money and in secret, and um, you know, and 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 you know, basically architected the destruction of this um mm-hmm. of this media platform, um, that was really big and really influential, and and also did you know, of course, wrote a lot of like really tawdry stuff. Um, including, you know, the post that, that, that got Teal mad, which, you know, said that he was gay. Um, but, uh, but Gawker also did a lot of important journalism as well. And, and so, you know, I, it definitely, I think, I think that case definitely created an environment where it was harder for people, harder for journalists to, to really, um, think critically or write critically or talk mm-hmm. to sources about Peter Thiel. It hangs over every conversation mm-hmm. you have, every conversation with an editor, every conversation you have with a source. Yeah. As intended. Uh, what's your relationship? Oh, I, I asked that. Um, I, oh, this was the question I wanted to ask you. Do you like him? I'm um, trying not to, I, I don't really want to, I, I don't know. It's kind of like, it feels important to me to not like pass judgment or anything like that. Yeah, but you you must you must have some. I mean, I know. You, well, anyway, you try not to pass judgment, but you must have some personal feeling about it. Here's this a 330 page book about the guy. Yeah, you're right. You're right to press me. Okay. Um, I feel um, I feel like he's worthy of respect, and um, I think there are aspects of his achievements, um, uh, and and the things that he's done that are worthy of admiration, and and I find. You know, I find him to be like a, a really interesting um, and charismatic figure, but I also think that he's he's pretty dangerous. And I think mm. that the ideology that he has espoused and that he has uh, pushed in all sorts of ways um, is bad, and it and it's and and it and it needs to be scrutinized and and um, understood. And and to the extent that it's it's filtering into these companies that are incredibly incredibly powerful um, that have you know unbelievable control over our lives, access to our data. I think we need to, um, I think we need to talk about that. And I also think, you know, especially as he gets, um, as he gets into funding these, um, 
you know, funding these political campaigns, putting $10 million into this guy, Blake Masters, running for Senate in Arizona, $10 million into J.D. Vance. Um, both of them, uh, either former or current, you know, Teal employees. Um, that, uh, you know, I think that those ideological questions become, you know, even more important. I mean, for me, the thing that is most troubling and that I think is worth a lot of conversation is just the, the relationship to democracy. This idea that democracy, uh, you talked about indifference to institutions, which I think is, is definitely yeah, worth if you're about but, to get, I, I think that you're about to get into some of the Trump stuff. Okay. Um, okay. I'll, I, I really want to do that. And it's a great place to pause here, go to break and then pick up the Trump great. story. Uh, so why don't we do that? We'll be back here on the big technology podcast right after this with Max Chafkin. He's the author of the contrarian Peter Thiel and Silicon Valley's pursuit of power. While we go to commercial, you can go to your favorite bookstore and pick it up. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we're changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. So come figure it out with me on the Hello Monday podcast. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives, like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or NYU professor Scott Galloway on choosing a career. I think the worst advice you can give a kid is follow your passion. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday with me, Jesse Hempel, on the LinkedIn Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here on the Big Technology Podcast with Max Chafkin, features editor at Bloomberg Businessweek and also the author of The Contrarian, which is the book we've been talking about. It's all about Peter Thiel, a little biography of sorts, but, um, you know, getting a little bit more into the philosophical stuff. Um, and I definitely want to talk about um, sort of the big Peter Thiel story where he gets to take his ideology to the world, the one that you said was bad ahead of the break. I think this is where you were going with it, yeah. where it extends to his support of Donald Trump. And then I would say more importantly, uh, his um, the way that he actually influenced the staffing of his administration. So is that where you were going earlier, Max? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, so. As you said, uh, Teal, uh, you know, famously or infamously, depending on your politics, uh, you know, made a big donation to the the Trump campaign uh, just before uh, just before the twenty sixteen election, um, and and also gave this speech at the Republican National Convention endorsing um, Trump, and that gets him on the transition committee, and as a result, you know, gives gives him access to the Trump administration, and he is given an opportunity by Steve Bannon, who was his you know, his ally, you know, his main ally in, in the administration, um, it, at least until Bannon was, um, ousted. You know, ousted, um, given the job of appointing, um, basically people who can, you know, disrupt as Bannon put it to me, kind of disrupt the administrative state who can, who can help, you know, do the, the, the execute the Trump revolution on government. 
and 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 so he has a chance to right. appoint all of these to pause um, yeah he yeah. he talked about um you talk about them in the book how the view was republicans can win elections democrats can win elections as long as the democrats who believe in bigger government can staff these government agencies the democrats are essentially never out of power and what they wanted to do is strip the agencies or, you know, I guess they call it the swamp or I don't know of their power and of their people so that um, they wouldn't have this democratic influence. It's kind of questionable as to whether that's actually true um, about, about their thesis, but it is interesting because when Trump came into power, it was kind of weird to see him put people in charge of every agency to do kind of exactly the opposite of what the agency was tasked to do. And it was one of the most weirdest puzzling thing where like the EPA guy wanted to demolish, uh, you know, all environmental protection and financial people wanted to demolish the financial protections. And, you know, the list goes on. And now actually after reading this, turns out that this is sort of the influence of Teal on the transition committee, getting these people in line, even if he was like moderately successful, definitely the philosophy is. Well, and the thing that the really, the mind blowing thing for me is that, you know, Teal actually wanted to go a lot further. I mean, Bannon, was basically like told me basically you know Teal Teal's further out than Trump. I mean Teal was too far out. If you if you thought we were doing crazy things, like you should have seen the stuff that Peter actually wanted to do. And mm. you know that's you know Teal um, uh, attempted to get Balaji Srinivasan uh, made FDA commissioner. Balaji Srinivasan, um, you know, a very opinionated, very outspoken, very hostile to the press. Yeah, he wanted to make. Uh, the medical uh, uh, the medical approval process for medicines, a big crowdsourced spreadsheet where people rate their experiences with the drug. And it's like, well, you could sort of learn from there. Yeah, Sorry, that was I the mean, idea. Replace the FDA with Yelp, um, which, of course, um, which actually I think is something that Teal actually wants. Um, uh or, or some version of that. They they they're in favor of you know drastic deregulation of 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 drugs, um, and and make no secret about that. But it's just kind of the idea of having somebody with like no government experience who wants to get rid of the FDA, run the FDA, and who's also just been totally intemperate on Twitter um, is just kind of crazy. And and it wasn't going to work. Um, uh, Teal also had the opportunity to ch- suggest all these chief. Uh, candidates for chief scientist, the the top scientific advisor to the um, to the president, and and his two main choices um, were climate change deniers, um, uh, who who you know one of whom um, William Happer, uh, you know he's actually he's a very respected uh, physicist at Princeton, um, but who has kind of has a sideline in arguing that CO two gets a bad rap and it's actually good because it's tree food, and I mean it's very like pretty First fringe. <laughs> pretty fringe stuff. Um, yeah. and, um, and Teal wanted him to, you know, have a major scientific position. The other, his other candidate was this guy, David Galertner, who, um, is a Yale computer scientist. Um, but who also kind of as a sideline is, is a, is a big time provocateur has run, written another, you know, kind of, you know, far right, you know, uh, a book about, about, you know, how universities are too left. He's basically, you know, a uh, yeah, like a, a provocateur, and so another guy who really had little chance to succeed, and and so Teal didn't do that well in terms of actually getting people into government. Although I think I would argue that he did have a he did have some influence on the Trump administration, and he kind of made the most of of his um, of his time there, even if he wasn't able to get any of these kind of far out picks into into government because he was able to get you know access. 
you know, he, he set up this, this meeting, um, this big meeting with all the tech CEOs, gets Alex Carp, mm-hmm. uh, CEO of Palantir, in a room with Donald Trump, which I think was very important for, um, for Palantir and, and has helped one – is one of the reasons Palantir has been so successful uh, um, over the past four years. Yeah, one of the interesting things to me was um, you wrote about how they, in the, in the transition uh, team, uh, anticipated that Tila was just kind of there for the photo op, uh, but he never asked to meet Trump. And it was yeah. all about filling the government with people who had his ideological beliefs. There is this kind of like um, talking to to DC people about Teal. You know, they kind of t- often talk about him as this kind of cipher because he doesn't behave in in the normal ways. He so, and I think some of this may have to do with kind of inexperience. Like, and I think part of if he had been a more experienced political operator, he probably could have maybe he could have gotten Balaji, you know, made FDA chairman or something. Um, but I think also some of it is that his that he's not playing the same game that that many of the others are playing, and and I don't think I don't think his game was the like let me you know have as much influence over the Trump administration as possible. It was let me set things up so that my companies have as good a chance as possible, and that that long term he has political influence, which is exactly what happened. And you know post. Trump uh, post um, you know January sixth insurrection, you know Teal I think has you know you know in a strange way maybe more influence than he had um, you know even during the Trump administration. Why is that? Kind of well because he's kind of he's been able to put himself in the middle of this um, you know the post Trump movement. I mean these mm. these candidates that he's funding I mentioned Masters and Vance, um, you know they are like kind of among the sort of standard bearers for. You know what? I, what I think it probably should be described as like Trumpism or um, you know nationalist populism or whatever. It's it's the it's Trumpism with or without Trump. And um, and I think that uh, Josh Hawley is another is another one of these figures, mm-hmm. also a figure, uh, former Stanford Re- Review guy who has taken money from from Teal, who has endorsed JD yeah. Vance. Um, there's kind be of a little to crew. see if, if Trumpism without Trump is actually going to work. Uh, it, it may it, it's it there's a, I don't know I think there's a chance that it was unique to the individual like josh holly is just too polished i think that you talked about like um how it was like you know trump was the inheritor of the paul brothers uh ron paul and his son rand and like what they realized or you know someone in their uh, in their elk realized was it wasn't necessarily the ideology it was just they wanted the craziest person in the room yeah a hundred percent and i think that's um really tough to be the inheritor of that philosophy even though if you say the same things on on policy it's the fact that the dude could go and trash Rosie O'Donnell at a debate that was part of his appeal. Sorry, go ahead. But no, no, but I, I do think that is Peter Thiel is attempting to be the inheritor of that movement and uh, to be to be the patron of that movement, to be the person who is behind the scenes for the 20 to 30 percent of the country that wants the guy who yeah. says the craziest shit in the room. Right. Um, and which, by the way, that formulation um, is from this uh, Reason magazine uh, writer, Brian Butler, who wrote a, a really great book about uh, about Ron Paul. And um, uh, and and this there was this feeling among the libertarians. I think some libertarians feel, um, you know, a little bit betrayed by the by by Teal because Teal was you know, Teal kind of presented himself as a libertarian, but then, but has kind of gone all in for Trumpism, which I, which is obviously very different from libertarianism. Um, but anyway, just to get back to the thing about, you know, what, what exactly is bad? I mean, I think the thing that's bad is as they've been attempting as Teal and his acolytes have been attempting to kind of harness this energy, 
they're positioning themselves as sort of being okay with the January 6th insurrection. You know, Josh Hawley uh, famously, you know, raised his fist in solidarity as he um, walked into the Capitol, you know, on January 6th. And we're seeing, you know, J.D. Vance and Masters to some extent, you know, kind of trying to thread the needle and be o- kind of be okay or create a, create a space mm-hmm. where um, – the 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 people who stormed the Capitol are just um just protesters and the the police that tried to stop them are you know somehow um you know strong arming uh, you know civil disobedience or something like that and and that to me is is very dangerous um and it's it's uh at least if if you believe in democracy it's dangerous because it's 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 totally hostile to to kind of this core part of of American government right and all throughout Teal's life he's talked about how. Uh, you know, quote that you see often in the book is voting's o- overrated. I don't really right. believe in voting. Yeah, and 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 he's said in all sorts of ways. There was this famous um, essay in the um, that that was published by the Cato Institute where he uh, talked about basically he decided that democracy was incompatible with um, libertarian beliefs, his beliefs. Um, and he's you know been a patron to this guy Curtis Yarvin, who mm-hmm. is uh, you know um, uh, better known as uh, Moldbug, but um, you know this blogger who is uh whose big idea basically is is a d- d- dictatorship i mean he's a uh, he's advocating you know some some version of of fascism and 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 you're seeing this kind of spill into you know borderline mainstream republican discourse people talking about an american caesar and i think that is i think you can draw a line from that idea to teal and and i think mm-hmm. that is i mean that is a very very radical position yeah um one question I have for you. So, Till, who we've spoken about, um, is gay. I, you know, obviously, like, um, he's, you know, the political beliefs cross the spectrum if you're gay. Uh, but I, one of the things I'm struggling to to see is how he was able to align himself with people who were so militantly anti-gay. I'm curious what you think. I mean, here's one example that you write about in the book. Uh, let's see, about Ron Paul. Uh, Paul's Paul supporter preferred the old Ron Paul, the Ron Paul who talked like the one of one of Teal's old Stanford review columnist who published a newsletter talking about Paul that said 95 percent of black men in Washington, D.C. were criminals and said, I miss the closet about gay rights like Teal. They wanted to stick it to the cathedral. He was ready to help them. Yeah. Uh, and if you go back to Teal's, um, you know, to, to the newspaper or Stanford yeah. review or the or the or the book he wrote, Diversity Myth. Um, you will find some views on, um, uh, you know, sexuality that are are really, you know, pretty backwards. Um, uh, and they're, you know, it's it's uh, and and there there's there's obviously there's a temptation to psychologize this, and 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 mm-hmm. you know, a couple some people have suggested to me um, that you know it's it's self hatred or something like that. You know, Teal's a Christian, and you know maybe maybe there's some. Some of this is like a symptom of his own, you know, discomfort with himself. I tend to think he is a provocateur, and I think that there's, it's always been profitable, um, especially in right wing circles, to be in in an out group and to kind of crap on the other members of your out group. Like that's that's kind of there's like a tried and true path um, in in conservative activist activist politics of of doing exactly that. And I think so I don't like I don't think it's that complicated. I think it's just it's as simple as that. And I also think probably he just doesn't feel there you know he he's 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 talked about this a little bit. Like I think the speech that he gave at the um 
Republican National Convention, um, which of course was he was criticized a lot by um, you know gay rights groups because the the Republican Party had all, had positions on trans rights and gay rights that were really you know I mean they you know they were they, they were against those things and um, and and I think Teal. As he kind of said in that speech, like he doesn't want to be defined by his his sexuality, and and he doesn't want he 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 feels so strongly about that to such an extent that you know he's willing to you know ally himself with somebody who is um, you know part of a party that's anti-gay. I also think it's probably like I think Teal has talked about this, but mm-hmm. Trump probably was like less hostile on gay rights than yeah. I don't see other- Trump as as hostile. On yeah, gay yeah. Rights. So I think there is some way I mean, to see Trump, it as Trump is yeah. like. I mean, Trump. Sorry, I'm probably getting in trouble saying this, but you know, Trump obviously said what he said about in Charlottesville, and I'm not absolving him of that. But also, right. like, guy grew up as a New Yorker. Um, Ted Cruz real accused estate, him yep. of having New York values. Yeah, his daughter converted to Orthodox Judaism. So, right. you know, do I think he's backwards on race in a lot of ways? Yeah. But do I don't know. I don't I I guess like his his positions are a little more complicated. Yeah, and I think there was like it, from from Trump like to the extent that that Trump was like anti-gay, it always seemed a little bit half-hearted or something. <laughs> um uh and, and not and and I do think there's a way to see you know, Teal's speech as an important moment, you know, First time, right? First yeah, time it, someone who was openly gay spoke at the uh, Republican National Convention. First time they acknowledged it on stage because there actually right. had been one other. There had been mm-hmm. another instance, um, but but that that person was booed during the you mm-hmm. know during the um, during the speech. And Teal not only wasn't booed, but he he got a standing ovation. And like it was when you watch it, um, you know, I, I do think it does feel like a moment. It feels like wow, the 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 beating heart of the Republican Party. They're not just accepting this; they are cheering for it. They're excited about it. So I, I do think that is that's something that probably, like on a historical basis, that will be an important historical thing that that Teal was a part of. So wrapping up this chapter about politics and government, uh, he did get some. Uh, so why did he back Trump? Right, that's a question that a lot of people ask. I think that like. There's an idea that Trump and Bannon did embody a lot of the values that he wanted, but there was also the business rationale, which was that he had three and a half billion dollars sitting in an IRA that he didn't want want taxed, Roth IRA. And he uh, he wanted his businesses, Palantir in particular, to be able to get government contracts and thought that getting close to power would be a good idea. And he essentially made this one billion dollar bet right after the Access Hollywood tape came out that was like, all right, maybe Trump will be able to help me solve these problems Let's see what happens. So how did that work out for him? Yeah. Well, I think it's important um, with Teal to see that the business and politics are always connected, that that he doesn't – that he has these he, – he has a, a sort of political project and a business pot project and they work together in tandem and you can't – his ideology is in service of his business. His business is in service of his ideology. They're hard to separate. Um, kind of like I think the Koch brothers, um, th- there's some of that with the Kochs too where they're really good at combining – at finding an ideology that like sort of works with their business imperatives and, and then mm. finding business imperatives that work with their ideology. But, um, I think with Teal, um, it's, it's two things. It's one, he was buying low. He, he had an opportunity to have a huge stake in, um, in this new administration that had very few kind of institute, there, there was very little institutional support for Trump. There were no, it's not only that there was little institutional support, there were no like 
respectable business people who were backing Trump. It was all kind of, I mean, there were a few, but it was like largely, you know, if you go to the, who else was speaking at the Republican National Convention, yeah. it's like real estate kind of shady seeming real estate guys. Pillow and like people. Yeah. And some reality TV stars, like the guy who, ran, who runs the cage fighting company was there, you know, Chachi from Happy Days. Yeah. Yeah, Hulk Hogan um, spoke there also, right? Uh, I, I don't know if he actually, did he, did he appear on stage? I can't remember. Oh, he but he showed I, up. Right. Yeah, he was. I mean, he's you know one of the biggest celebrities in Tampa, so um, mm-hmm. so that would make sense. But uh, but anyway, but I also think that and and there was so much effort among um, tech people, and I'm sure in private, especially to kind of like explain away Teal's support of Trump as just as just being about as just being kind of a Machiavellian bet. He does he couldn't possibly really want Trumpism, and I think the truth is he does like Trump. I think there's a mm-hmm. lot of there's a lot about Trump's ideology that is very closely aligned with Teal's, despite the differences that I brought up earlier. Um, yeah. The core the of Trump, yeah, well, the core of Trump's appeal is right. being able to say, being able to get away with saying the racist thing or the sexist thing. Well, I think you even note that, like, one of the things he enjoyed the most when in the watch party for the election was how angry people in Silicon Valley were right. going to be about Trump's election. Okay, but but what about the money though? The the yeah. um the the deals for his companies did he yeah, work, so, did he make out okay from from those yeah I mean he did great and I think some of it it's of course it's always hard to how it's how? always it's always hard to untangle yeah. okay like why did Palantir get those contracts did Palantir mm-hmm. Palantir got a, a an eight hundred million dollar army contract another four hundred million dollar contract um an, uh, uh, it took over this uh, project Maven from Google that's another forty million bucks a year you know it goes on and on um and of course it's it's very hard to untangle. You know why does a company get these deals? Um, because of course they are, they, you know, their 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 explanation is well, we're getting the deals because we have the best product and we've spent a long time um, selling it. But of course, when you're talking about defense contracts, I, I think inevitably like politics plays a role, and um, and I think it's it's no accident that that Palantir took off during the Trump administration that that it that really had these a series of breakthroughs, you know. Uh, you know, under an administration where Teal had influence, um, I also um, I also think you know you brought up his 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 tax status and and this um, we could probably have a really long conversation about this, but mm-hmm. um, Teal has been pursuing his whole career this very 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 aggressive strategy to pay it's legal but but just exceedingly aggressive strategy to pay almost nothing in taxes on his. Um, on most of his income, it's his, his investment income because it's all in a, a Roth IRA retirement account. And there's been this feeling in um, uh, in in Teal's world that at any moment somebody could come along and take that away from him, either because there is a reinterpretation of the rules or someone changes the rules, which is something that was threatened during the Obama administration, but but didn't actually happen. Um, or there's, you know, or, or somebody finds, you know, he if he if he accidentally got something wrong in his taxes, then then it, it could all go away. And I think a lot of Teal's um, sort of operations over the past um, decade or so can be explained by that. I mean, the 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 acquisition of, of uh, citizenship in New Zealand, which we haven't touched on, but mm-hmm. you know, he 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 secretly acquired citizenship. <laughs> in- you know, Max, you are right. This is such a fascinating story because there's so, I mean, each one of these could be their own show. But sorry, go but ahead. Anyway, I, yeah. I think that it was widely interpreted. And, and I think this even led to some jokes in Silicon Valley that this is just him being, you know, apocalyptic. He wants a, a doomsday bunker. But I think the truth is he, he actually wanted a doomsday t- 
tax shelter, you know, a, 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 just in case Obama goes to, because he saw Obama as a communist, you know, in case Obama, you know, goes full commie or something and tries to come for his money, Teal is going to have a backup plan. Um, and that and that backup plan is, at the time, a, a conservative government um, that was running New Zealand at the time and uh, would would be a way to create some leverage in a negotiation with the IRS or, you know, worst case scenario, right? There have been these billionaires or, or, or centimillionaires or whatever who have renounced their U.S. citizenship um, in order to, to get out of a tax bill. So, so that would be, that would be another option. Um, and I think similarly, you know, Teal's um, engagement in, in politics and his support of Trump, some of it has to do with, you know, wanting to make sure that the tax, that tax policy favors him. And, you know, this sounds, if from a certain point of view, this sounds outrageous, but of course, a lot of this is happening out in the open. I mean, we're seeing, you know, Keith Raboy and a b- bunch of these guys who have, you know, relocated to Miami, you know, they're, they're doing it, you know, as they say to, because they don't want to pay um, state capital gains tax in California. And, um, and you're also, you also hear that, you know, um, kind of another thread of tealism, but this idea of exit, this idea that you should be allowed to, you know, withdraw from the government, um, either by going to a seastead, as you said, or, or by, you know, decamping for your New Zealand bunker. Um, so I think a lot of the political motivation, some of the p- political motivation for Trump um, came from that, that sense of, of, of vulnerability and a desire to like, make sure that, that the tax policy stayed um, friendly to the interests of tech billionaires. Right. So Teal's out of office. I mean, no, it's not Teal. Trump is out of office. Uh, Freudian slip. Uh, you know, uh, Teal's got his money. Uh, is what's his next act? I mean, I think his next act, as I said, is um, continued influence in this in this right wing movement. Which it's true. You might be right that like maybe we will close the book on this and we'll get like kind of a, a more conventional uh, Republican nominee, and then yeah. I think then I think that'll. Really well, sideline Peter I Thiel. personally think that that it'll be the return of Trump or one of his kids. Yeah, it well, would then be if astonishing that... to me if none of them ran next next cycle. It'd be yeah. So I think his I think his play is to to have influence in that in that world and to continue to to be a, a you know political kingmaker mm-hmm. um, to to be you know to play that kind of Koch brothers uh, type role, but in the you know the Koch brothers played that role in the kind of. Um, conventional mainstream Republican Party, but to play that role in the in the you know uh, Trumpist uh, party, whatever it's called, the the Freedom Party or the Patriot Party yeah. or whatever. Um, and I think that's part of it. And I think also, and I think you know, continuing to um, to to make investments to 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 do the investor thing. And you know, there's he's been you know he's been doing a bunch of stuff in crypto. It's sort of hard to figure out what he actually. Um, believes with crypto um, because you know he's he's sort of like making investments, but then he's like crapping on Bitcoin and um, but so I I think there's going to be a, you know continued engagement in in technology and also um, and also a real push in, politically. Um, I also think you know he has two kids now, and I, I I do think it's possible that you know he's slowing down or or, or something like that. Like w- we'll see, and and I think. As you say, some some of it may come down to you know what happens politically, whether whether it's an advantageous situation for him or not. But uh, and this is a guy who really seems to get a kick out of being provocative. So it's hard for me seeing him not trying to find some new way to provoke. Um, and when you have ten billion dollars or however much money he has, um, you know you can that that could that could be pretty dramatic uh, depending on what he does. Do you think he'll talk to you again after the book? 
I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I'm open to it. <laughs> yeah. Great. I hope so. Well, the book was great, man. Uh, I didn't think I was going to get through it this week uh, and I couldn't stop reading it. So I think that. Um, oh, well, thank you, Alex. I really appreciate it. Difficult subject matter, like we spoke about. And it's uh, it's well-rounded, it's good, it's engaging, well-written, packed with facts, and definitely enlightened me to a lot of stuff that I hadn't known previously about Silicon Valley and power in tech. And uh, I suggest everybody go read it. Thank you, Max, for joining the show. appreciate it. Thanks, Alex. It was really fun. Super fun. The book is The Contrarian, Peter Thiel and Silicon Valley's Pursuit of Power. It's available in all bookstores. You can grab it today, sometime later this week. You know, help Max become a bestseller. All right. Well, that will do it for us here on the Big Technology Podcast. Thanks to Nate Guatney for editing this and mastering the audio. Thanks to Red Circle for hosting and selling the ads. And thanks, most importantly, to you all, the listeners. Show be nothing without you. Appreciate you coming back week after week. And we will see you again next Wednesday. 